Yes, and welcome into another edition of the Ballsy Podcast brought to you by the Dallas Morning News. I'm Sean Bass of Sports Radio 1310 and 96.7 FM. The ticket in studio today with the great Kevin Sherrington and Evan Grant. And we are less than a week away from organized team activities out at the Star. We've already had rookie minicamp. Need to talk a little Dallas Cowboys football. And to do so, we'll be joined by Babe Loffenberg, the uh, radio analyst for your Dallas Cowboys. Babe, good to talk to you again. Hey, good morning, and I feel like I'm talking to the 1927 Yankees here, the Murderers Row. You know, we've been, we've been I've, I have never been indicted. Oh, I, I was going to say, <laughs> so it's really. I, what, kind of, what kind of charge are you making there, babe? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, uh, it's greatness. It's greatness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, it really is. is going to the mile. Hey, this is a pitcher going to the mound without his best stuff, facing the three, four, and five hitter right now. This is somebody that's actually known patting us on the head, making us feel better about know, ourselves that's before something. we start this. I love that. That guy's all class. This is why we have you on, babe, just so you I, say I nice understand. things. Yeah. I understand. It certainly isn't for what I have to bring to the table. No, no, that's <laughs> not true. That's not true. All right, I'm ready to go. Let's fire. All right, well, I know you're not. You, you were not at, at minicamp. You were at somebody's graduation. Who was that, anyway? Yeah, my oldest son, Joe Willie. Uh, actually, I'm going to tell you, I was at Shinobi Awuzie's graduation because I went, got a photo with him, talked to him a little bit in his cap and gown, uh, told him I was I was told by the Cowboys to, to check up on him out there, and he kind of looked at me like I was serious. And I said, no, 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 my son's, <laughs> son's graduating here, too. But it was nice. I had a nice conversation with him, and then, of course, uh, yeah, my Joe Willie graduated. And let me ask you guys this, okay? Kevin, you, you've been through this, correct, with a college graduation two of them okay everybody says congratulations you must be so proud well when you send your kid and you pay the money for out-of-state tuition or in-state tuition to, to send your kid to a four-year college and they graduate isn't wasn't there an expectation when they started that they were going to graduate yeah here was the deal that we had it was that the first four years are on us anything after that is on you well i, I did the same thing and my, my son, well, I just told him basically we're going to graduate in four years barring something catastrophic happen. And he said, well, your dad, you know, your dad didn't graduate from college until he was 27, his grandfather. And I said, yes, but my, my dad also was 17, graduated from high school on Saturday, was in the Navy in World War II, basically, on Sunday, basic training, <laughs> was in the war for a couple of years, came back, went to St. Ambrose College for two years, got called back into the Korean War for two more years, then finished up his engineering degree at the University of Iowa. I said, so if World War III breaks out in Boulder, <laughs> Colorado, you also get six or seven years to get that degree. Well, that took a lot of nerve for him to bring up your uh, his grandfather <laughs> with all of that. Holy cow. And I'm guessing World War II era tuition rates weren't quite the same as it is. No. Well, there we go, yeah. I think they were still prohibitive at, at big-time schools for, for a lot of people. Um, are, you, are you taking a shot at me now because my first semester <laughs> at San Jacinto College cost me, I think it was for 18 hours, I think it was uh, 72 bucks. I wow. can't remember. It was well, something ridiculous. Well, and the thing is that when you went to San Jacinto College, you were there for the battle, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> big Sam, no, big Sam had a little, some problems. Um, the battle was just for Mr. Shankin to get through college. That yes, that's what it was. Let me let me suggest you both a more a much more efficient method to this whole college thing, which is the approach that I took, and that is 
marry a woman who's already got two kids whose ex-husband has pledged to pay their college education. <laughs> there you go. That was one of the requirements you had, wasn't it? Which is which is why I'm I'm suggesting that well, I suggested to Nick that he go to the most affluent of schools. <laughs> Top shelf. And and I'm I'm encouraging Natalie, no, go, go. Go go, go find a place with a huge uh, out of state tuition. Go, you want to be a designer? Go to the Rhode Island School of Design, honey. Yeah, go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Enough college uh, graduation talk. Let's move on to some really substantive stuff like, 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 let's, like minicamp. Like minicamp. Yeah, that's really substantive stuff. Yeah, that's. Uh, let's let's talk about minicamp and uh, did, do we ever find out anything from minicamp? Um, I, I don't think you do. You just. You know, the one interesting thing about that is you get out there, and again, I was not there. I think it's the first one I've probably ever missed, to be quite honest, but hard to tell you, son, I'm missing a college graduation for rookie <laughs> minicamp. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'll get over it, and I'll figure these guys out. But I do think you look at them, and you go, well, that guy's got a little, little more to him than you thought, or a little bigger, a little smaller, a little this, a little that. And as we well know, obviously, all these guys are six feet tall until they get to the combine, and then they become 5'10". <laughs> right, and, you know how they're listed and all that stuff, and uh, but when you come out there, I remember going out and seeing Zeke Elliott, and you know, obviously, had watched him at Ohio State, not with the same eye that a scout does, but had seen four or five games that he played his well his last year. I don't want to say his senior year, but anyway, uh, then you get out there and you just when you when you see him up close and personal, you just get a different feel for him. So from that standpoint, you can, but you know, it goes through all these. OTAs and mini camp and training camp and they, they kind of they kind of keep progressing and some will fall off and some will keep taking that that leap and it's interesting because every year in training camp you see a guy in the first few days he stands out or maybe the first you know four to seven days he'll stand out and then sometimes you just get a little overwhelmed with the information so they, they know the stuff on day one they know most of it on day two they know quite a bit of it on day three and then suddenly it just overwhelms them and you just see them slide physically because they're thinking so much, trying to re- remember and regurgitate all the information that's being presented to them. Babe, I was able to go out to the Star on Friday and just to get a look at uh, all the all the rookies and you know them getting their feet wet for the first time in the NFL. And you probably, like you said, you can't really learn much, but to see their faces when they're in the locker room with. 40 to 50 media members surrounding them in the wide eyes, and you know Jason Garrett always talks about the process and. I don't think we should underrate just getting into the system and learning what the expectation is from the coaching staff. That That is a pretty valuable thing, and you can see it and hear it in the coaches' comments when they are so fired up to basically have a uh, a, a fresh clay mold so they can uh, go to work. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, you know, these guys are all, well, eight of the nine of them came from Power 5 conferences this year. And you think, okay, well, they've been well-coached. They, they, they're going to step in here, and they played in big games, and they did all this. They have no idea what they're up for, technique-wise. It's just, it really becomes a different game. And I remember Rod Marinelli talking about, I believe it was Randy Gregory, who obviously played at Nebraska. And he said, hey, the things, he's finding out, the things that worked at Nebraska don't work here. You better bring, you better put some stuff in your toolbox. You know, Tyron Smith looks at some of your moves that you, you know, you, you might have dominated with in college and just says, really? Really? That's what you're bringing to me. <laughs> I bet he just stones you. So, oh, bad reference for Randy Gregory there. Sorry. Oh, my but, gosh. Um, no, I didn't. We weren't going to say anything until you <laughs> Well, you were. Yes, you were. You were all three just wait to jump in. I didn't, that 
was a, a that was a total malprompt there. We okay, weren't so going like, to say anything. Our jaws were still on the ground. <laughs> so, so all those technique things that work. That's why, quite honestly, wide receivers you don't really see them dominating early in the NFL. You know, they they become dominant players, but you know, Jerry Rice struggled. I think now with so much passing in the college game, these guys are better equipped, but they're still not equipped. Uh, for what they see, the coverages they see, the, the press technique that they get, and how to beat press and all that stuff. Um, it's just, a, it, it's almost becomes a different game. Do you have an opinion? Well, of course you do. But do I want, I want your opinion on Taco Charlton. Is he the answer at defensive end, or is he just a guy, I don't want to say just, but is he a guy no. who's, who's in the rotation and will be, you know, a nice player? I mean, that's the way I see him. I think the, the one thing, people view all first-round picks like equal, right? right? Whether you're taking a number two or a 32, oh, that guy was a first-rounder. Well, there's a, you know, there's a big difference. Even Drew Brees, I'll go back to his year of coming out. There were 31 teams in the league at the time. Cleveland didn't have a team, I, I don't believe, at the time. They still don't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, but he was, he was the 32nd pick in that draft. So in today's world, he'd be a first-round draft pick. And everybody saw they got Drew Brees in the second. So, yes, technically they did in that draft, but you look at 28, 28 isn't four. You know, Charlton isn't going to be, isn't viewed clearly as the player that Zeke Elliott was coming out of college. So, to your point, Kevin, I, I think if he can just be a solid player, uh, that's what you're hoping for. Uh, I mean, I don't see a guy coming in and being a dominant DeMarcus Ware type guy. And DeMarcus Ware came out of a very good draft that year and obviously was taken at number 11. So there's a big difference of, first-rounders. Do you have no, – there was some speculation that the Cowboys still had a first-round grade on a guy, and, it, and, and you know, I, I don't even know that we've ever found out who that was. Uh, everybody supposed it was Kevin King, uh, the, the cornerback from Washington. Uh, right. But did you have a problem with them taking Charlton there? Would you have taken someone else? Not at all, because I, I liked their thinking in terms of they knew that a good corner was going to be there at 60, or they felt like a good corner would be there at 60. Yeah. And, and obviously all of it is just an educated guess through the draft, but, and sure enough, they were able to get a pass rusher at 28 and their corner back there at 60, and uh, it worked out for them. The, the pass rusher wasn't going to be there at 60 um, if, even if they had jumped up and taken that corner. Yeah. So I had, no, I had no problem with that. And I always, I don't grade drafts in terms of the next day saying, wow, I grade them how did they go in? What was their plan going in, and did they execute the plan? In other words, if, if you went into the draft and you said, you know what, I am going to get seven linebackers. I'm going to draft. I have seven picks. I'm going to draft seven linebackers. Everybody else would fail you, right? But but you executed your plan. So I think in that regard, they executed their plan. They knew they needed a pass rusher. Um, did they have somebody rated higher at 28? Yes, but they were able to get the two things they wanted to come out of the draft with in the first two rounds, and that was a pass rusher and four. So um, you have an early scouting report on uh, Chidobe Awuzie, uh, and uh, that is how he carries himself uh, in his cap and gown. Uh, <laughs> did you spend enough time with him, talking to him, uh, to get an idea of what he's like? Well, you know, when he walked into the procession, um, his, he moved, I liked the way he moved his hips. When he sat down, he was there able we to go. You know, I, I viewed him differently than most people at that graduation. He got in and out of his break well. 
Yeah. There we go. Okay. Got yeah. in and out of the gown well. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, he's a smart kid. Obviously, graduated with a business degree. Uh, did it in three years. Uh, you know, he just looks like uh, Jason always talks about. Obviously, the right kind of guy. He looks like the right kind of guy. Uh, I, I talked to him just briefly out there at the uh, at Colorado's graduation ceremony. But you know, looked you in the eye. Uh, met his met his dad, who by the way was just tremendous. Probably all about five six. I don't know where the genes went down, but uh, they were they were so happy that this kid was getting his college degree, and obviously it was important to Shadobi to get to come here, fly back, come back to Dallas. I mean, he had quite the <laughs> he had quite the travel itinerary, but it was important for him to go through it. And I'm glad the Cowboys let him do it. But um, you know, one thing I don't like though uh, is we we hear all this talk about position flex, right? Position right. flex, position flex. DeMarcus Ware didn't have position flex necessarily, right? Yeah, Mike he was Lerner pretty good. Position, yeah. Did Mike Lerner have position flex? Right. <laughs> did Dude, Emmett have position? It, I had no position flex. Yeah, and, and, you know, they did that with certainly with Byron Jones. You know, he was a guy that they kind of played all over the place and and, and, I, and obviously handled it all pretty well. But he, I, I'm just still not convinced he had such a great year last year. Now maybe you tell me different, uh, but I wonder if that's you know when you're when you're asking a guy to do all those kinds of things, aren't you kind of impeding his progress? Oh, I think so. Um, and with Byron, they drafted him to be a corner. They didn't, they didn't draft him to play safety. Right. They drafted him to be a corner. Um, so again, the position flex is a fallback thing, a little bit like Tyrone Crawford to me. I keep waiting for Tyrone Crawford to have that big year, right? right? That that dominant year that they paid him uh, for. Well, you know, they paid him for it. Now, uh, in his defense, uh, he, he's battled through multiple injuries. You know, I don't know if he's I don't know if he's ever been healthy, and he's played through them to his credit, shoulder, this. But all that position flex gets you up and down the line, right? But you never find a home, right? I'll never forget. Now, I'm not going to put Bobby Carpenter um, in the in the classification that he wouldn't would have been an All Pro player, but. I was talking to, excuse me, Paul Pascaloni the one year. We were in training camp. It was in San Antonio. And, and Bobby had moved around his first couple of years. He played Sam, Mike, Will. He played every linebacker position that they had. And he said the most important thing we have to do with him is keep him at a spot and let him get good at it. Okay? So he was playing Sam, I believe, strong side linebacker. <laughs> Ten days into camp, they moved him to Will. <laughs> so I was like, wait a minute, didn't you just say the one there's one thing we gotta do with this kid to get him to be a player and that's to let him learn a position. So they did, they gave him a, ten days. Yeah. <laughs> so I just laughed. I was like, Okay, well um again, not saying that Bobby Carpenter was gonna be Lawrence Taylor if they'd left him at one spot, but it it does become difficult when you're you're trying to master all these different positions that, that entail different techniques, different calls, all that stuff. So again, I'm not as big on position flex as everybody else does. You know, Deion Sanders had zero position flex. Well, babe, let's talk about another. Let's talk about another DB that they say that has position flex. That's Jordan Lewis, the third round pick out of Michigan. Uh, they like the guy and his talent, but obviously a big old red flag with a pending trial in July of his uh, uh, alleged domestic abuse uh, while in college. Then we get the report this past week that there was another inc- incident that happened about a year before that. And yes, Dallas did a great job of executing their plan on uh, the first few days of the draft. But if this happens to be something that impedes his career and uh, affects their defense. Uh, do you feel like that'll taint any good vibes we all have from uh, what what the draft was? Well, 
I do know this. They truly did their due diligence on this. Um, I think if they, if they had felt like they believed this was this information was true, uh, they would not have taken him. Um, I don't want to say they learned their lesson with Greg Hardy because you kind of keep going and going with this stuff, but um, I, I know they, they they delved very deeply into all of it, and they came away with a good understanding that that was not this kid. Um, now, again, all I'm telling you is what I have been told, so I, I don't have firsthand information. I wasn't there, obviously, neither were they, but I know that uh, this was not, this was not taken lightly or cavalierly that, oh, well, he had this incident, but we'll, uh, it, it won't happen again. Um, I think they're fairly confident in the kid, the character of the kid. Um, I shouldn't say fairly confident. I think they're extremely confident in that. Now, time will tell. And so do we'll you what happens when it does go to trial. Do your, to your knowledge, babe, with, with whatever conversations you've had, were, were the Cowboys aware of the incident that dates back a year? I don't know that. That I do not know, and and, um, and to me this is you know to me this is the heart of the matter with this stuff. The NFL is, the NFL and and and, and teams have, are so invested in the futures of these guys. You would think that, uh, and and we're ma- I'm making an assumption here. Um, I, I I'm going to assume that that since this has all been reported new that the the Cowboys were unaware and. If you are doing your due deal, your due diligence at that point in time, I think if there's something that's discoverable, you've got to discover that. And for me, an, another another incident would raise, you know, would turn the red flag into one of those American flags you see outside a car dealership. And it, and it makes when Jason Garrett says, "Well, we got the right kind of guy," that rings a little hollow if if new things pop up and then all of a sudden the fan base doesn't necessarily trust that when you move forward with other athletes with potential red flags. I want to ask you about that that babe to that particular point. Do you know of any time that a, an NFL team has hired a private investigator to check out the past of a of a potential draft pick? Um I know it happens. I, I couldn't tell you point blank that I know a private investigator who told me that uh, they sent me out to look at player X. Um, but I know it's it, it's a it's a lot more, especially like a kid with Jordan Lewis, who obviously had a I don't want to say a history, but had an incident in his background, and uh, obviously had two. Um, actually, I'm going to backtrack a little, if I may, because you, you've all been around it. Um, you know, the money is so great. These kids are so young. Um, there's a lot of things that happen out there. I'll, I'll just give you an example myself. I got served papers in the Cowboys locker room when I first got here in 1989. Sheriff came in. And I'm like, what the heck is this? Anyway, I got sued by someone in San Diego. I had come from the Chargers. Somebody got beat up, sounded like very badly, out in the parking lot at a bar. The guy at the bar was saying he was me, Babe Wolfenberg. Why he would say that, I'm not sure. I, would, <laughs> I think I'd, I think I think I'd go with Dan Fouts, or you know, he had a beer too. Somebody, somebody a little. But anyway, long and short, he was saying he was me. He's at the bar, goes out, beats the heck out of somebody out in the parking lot. I get sued, and I'm defending it. I, I've got an umbrella policy, a million dollar umbrella policy that I have to enact because, and I've never, I've never been to the bar. Right. I'd never been to this bar, and. I had to sit there and go through where I was and had people, and it took a it took six months 
six well, anyway, months. Six months. Holy six cow. Months. Yeah, oh, you would think yeah. you'd say, well, here, I'm not you know, boom. Any number of things. Um, but it was an eye-opener for me. And again, I, I having been through that, and me being on such a lesser scale than some of these kids, um, yeah, I, I just know the way these things work. We, we saw Jerome Bettis got set up uh, in Pittsburgh uh, back when he was playing. You know, an uncle and a... How about that? To, to you know, an uncle and his niece, how about, uh, you know, set him up right. for a sexual assault charge. Um, anyway, I just, I, I, I'm not dismissing these by any means. Trust me, but uh, I do know there are, there are, you know, these guys are going to have. They have money. They have fame. They have a lot of things that are attractive for other people to uh, hang on to. Let me ask you, just let me ask you this, and, and, and just because you've got a little bit more of an insider's view than, than, than I do. and uh, I'd say a lot more of an insider's view than you do. <laughs> I don't want to give him that much credit. <laughs> Come on. Uh, but do you think that NFL teams, uh, from, from whatever your passing knowledge is, do they have the resources – and the desire to dig as deep as is really necessary on some of these kids? That's a good question. I, I, I know they have the desire. I mean, nobody wants a guy, nobody wants a, a bad apple. I mean, um, nobody wants to get a character issue guy. Um, it just it pulls down everything, pulls down your team, um, pulls down your organization. You spend a lot of your emotional time dealing with one guy, one particular person. Right. And they're just not they're just not worth it. Um, do they have the resource? You know, no team has resources to kind of conduct these types of investigations that that law enforcement uh, is able to conduct. Um, as a matter of fact, you can't even get to some of the information. Um, so, in answer to your question, even the NFL, I, I always the NFL has their investigative arm and. Um, Obviously, they, they have the resources and money and everything else, but I, I think they're limited as well. So you're never going to truly know everything about every player. Now, the other, the other part of that is, you've got, to me, you've got to look at these players and say, is this, a, is this guy a character issue guy, or is he a young man that has made poor decisions? Because you can help the young guy that has made poor decisions, but if you've got a character issue guy, um, to me, you just say, let them go be good for somebody else. All right, I got one last thing for you, babe. We know you're on a tight schedule. Uh, I wrote about this last week, I guess it was, uh, about uh, Jalen Smith and and all the talk about has the nerve regenerated. I think we've all learned a whole right. lot about this uh, medical problem and uh, and what it entails. My point was that uh, can't we just let this kid – progress and let's see where he is shouldn't everybody just say you know we're we're happy with the progress he's made so far but let's see what where it goes from here and instead what we're hearing is oh he, we would have taken him in the first round now if we had an opportunity even even uh, where he is right now in his development um aren't they doing him a disservice well i think the day by day updates are and as far as i'm concerned i, I really don't pay attention to any of that until I see him on the field in football gear playing football, I'm assuming he's not ready to play. And it's not unlike, Kevin, you had the station wagon, right? 
Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I, I grew up in a well, I grew up in a station wagon, but yeah, no, they don't have those anymore, babe. I have a oh, that's, Kevin, that's suburban. So sad. I thought you lived in a house as a kid. <laughs> you upgraded to the suburban. Yes, we did. What's the longest trip that you took in that suburban? Uh, probably about nine hundred miles. Where'd you go? Went to Illinois. Okay, so you got out of Dallas. Got out of Houston, and, actually. Okay, Houston. Okay, so you in Houston, and you might have made it to. Oh, college station coming up. And the kids in the back seat said, are we there yet, Dad? Are we there yet? No, no, not there. And they kept, you had 900 miles, and for about every 15 miles, they kept asking you, are we there? And that's like Jalen Smith's foot, you know? Are right. we there? No, not there yet. Right. So just, you just tell the kids, hey, shut up, and we'll let you know when we get to Grandma. Or you threaten right? to leave them in a field somewhere. <laughs> yes, that there always works. There we go. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, until I until I really see him playing, I'm, I'm I'm assuming he's not playing. Yeah. And we hear things like, you know, well, he's feeling his toe. <laughs> feeling your toe and, and playing NFL football, uh, there's a wide gap between those two things. Yes, there are. Very wide. Okay, hey, do you want to hear my one minicamp story before I leave? Give, give me a minicamp story. And this is, this will probably go on through the ages, right? But <laughs> I'm, I'm in Washington, and this, at that time, your first minicamp was with the full team. It was all the players, not the rookie minicamp that they just had. So the, I go to Washington, drafted in 83. They just won the Super Bowl in 82. John Reagans was Super Bowl MVP and had that great playoff run. Um, so I was throwing a drill called Pat and Go, and you've seen it where they're just loosening up and throw, throw kind of about a 30-yard deep ball, and it's really just to get the receivers. you got two lines. Well, I'm counting down the players, and I realize, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm going to be throwing to John Reagans. <laughs> you're counting like, down the players to see who you're going to yeah. throw to? <laughs> well, because there were, we had two quarterbacks, right? So maybe it was me and Feisman. And I'm like, okay, he's got him, I've got him, he's got him, I've got him, and him was Riggins. I'm like, he's, he's the fourth guy, and I'm I'm just sweating because I'm thinking, okay, if I throw it over his head and he has to go straight to it, <laughs> and he pulls a hamstring, I'm cut right there. I mean, I'm wanting to put a perfect ball on him. I know everybody is watching me. Right? <laughs> Seriously, I know everybody is watching the the sixth round rookie quarterback. I know all eyes are on me. Anyway, I throw the ball. When it leaves your hand, you just know. So I throw it and I'm off. Oh, good spiral. It turns over. I'm like, oh, that's going to be right on the money. He's running, takes his helmet. You know, he's got his helmet on and just takes it and headers it like a soccer player. <laughs> Doesn't even make an attempt to catch the ball. <laughs> and I just said, I just said, whoa, okay, this NFL thing's going to be a little different. He just jogged around. And... Then I realized no one was watching. You know, as you become a veteran and these guys come in, you realize nobody's watching me. <laughs> you know, when Jason, Witten, when Jason Witten comes in, I will guarantee you Cooper Rush is going to think, oh, my gosh, Witten is, is like, grading me right now. And Witten may not even know the guy's name. <laughs> so, so you didn't go down there and get in John Riggins' face for not catching that? No, and no one else did either. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I but bet. I, just, I did. I said, oh, this is going to be a little different. Well, babe, that is awesome stuff, and it's always good to talk to you. Thanks for carving out some time for us today, and I'm sure we'll talk again relatively soon. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right, there Thanks, goes. babe. There's uh, Babe Loffenberg. babe. He is the uh, lead analyst for the Cowboys Radio Network alongside the great Brad Sham. Yes, they are. It's always fun talking to Babe. Babe, babe likes to get on, uh, kind of uh, winds up on his stories. Not like me, though. I, I, I like to go tell a few stories every once in a while. 
uh, Evan always says it's like from the back porch as we're whittling. Well, Kevin Kevin does speak in kind of corn pone tones. <laughs> you know, I was a few, old a few country witticisms. Yeah, I was go. knee high to a feral hog. <laughs> <laughs> well, we kept it as a pet, though. Well, let's see if we have some of that uh, this week. As uh, you guys talk to Fran Frischilla, uh, as the Mavericks pick ninth in the NBA draft. And no, let's Kevin see had to act all sophisticated. Let's, with let's see if we get yeah. some down home uh, country spun wisdom as we talk Rangers a little bit uh, later this week. We're gonna do that too. Oh, I can't wait. It'll be just like slurping <laughs> yeah, some yeah, homemade. You're from Georgia. Don't be talking to me about corn bones. Some homemade blueberry <laughs> ice cream with a metal spoon. Get out of the icebox. For Kevin and Evan, I'm Sean. Thanks to Babe Loffenberg. That's been Cowboy Talk and the Ballsy Podcast. We'll talk to you later.